<laughs> Sorry, can't help it. Oh, happy Monday. Oh. Yeah, we are. Well, we're not really late today. Yes, it's not just happy Monday. Happy 50th. 50th. Episode 50. The big 5 the big um, five of live from Rabs with our smallish studio audience today. We have a smallish, yeah. Uh, Corey Gusky has joined us in the uh, audience today. He hung around, so uh, well, he hung around after we celebrated a, f- a couple birthdays this this afternoon. Yes, yes. Uh, and he, of course, he's a he's a Met fan, so he's he's excited to, to be here with us. <laughs> look at look at his face. <laughs> Negative. We are practicing social distancing. Yeah. So everybody is at a safe distance. So we're good. Yeah, we're right. Uh, welcome to Life from Raps from Inside Raps Country Lanes, episode 50. Wow, happy 50. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we're a little late today. Get over it, Dennis. Uh, you're still hanging around. So uh, that's, it must be, that must be a good sign that you uh, you They hang in, to even hang, though... Uh, hang out. Yeah. Well, you know, they got hanging around... Hanging around. What is your mood today? Crazy. I am crazed. Oh. I am crazed. I I I am. Crazed. You are crazed. I, I, I picked that out specifically <laughs> for today. Um. So, how was your Mother's Day yesterday? I was going to avoid this one. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, we had a very nice Mother's Day. Very nice. Uh, the food looked delicious. I did. I, I did. Sh- I overshared yesterday because I we had a lot of. I had a lot of fun cooking. So yesterday, uh, a lot of therapy uh, happened in the Wilkinson household. Yeah, uh, the request was ri- from one mother from from mom. It was ribs, and then from the other mothers, uh, chicken and ribs. Oh, and so, so we did a barbecue to- thing. Oh, uh, nice. I have to slightly apologize because I think when I started preparing the chicken, my mother goes, well, "What are you making?" And I said, well, what does it matter? She was, oh. She was a little disappointed that I decided not to barbecue the chicken also. Oh, uh, well, I probably would have, if I were, would have requested chicken. No, no, she didn't, well, she re- didn't, she didn't she request did. chicken. She requested the it wasn't her request. Okay. The ribs were her request. Oh, okay. Well, then she probably would have liked the chicken also, just she loved barbecued. It. Yeah. Well, so she wanted me to do it the way that she would, would have after she didn't request the chicken. She requested the ribs, and so we, we went we went through that. And she was happy. We, I have to say, we really, I, I was, uh, I think I outdid myself. Yes. It looked, the pictures <laughs> looked amazing. So I was slightly jealous. Well, happy belated Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, Nazareth, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. There are Thank better you. days ahead. Yeah, I had a little craziness in my Mother's Day. My mom got uh, sick yesterday and... Um, we had to uh, take her to the hospital. She's in for a couple of days. She's okay. Um, but it did make for an interesting uh, Mother's Day. And I am going to reiterate this again. Uh, thank you, everybody who knew for their prayers. Um, the people that are working in hospitals right now are uh, incredible, incredible people. Uh they put themselves in the line of uh, disease, and you know, it's it's they they do amazing work, and they're very caring people. Um, thanks to uh, one of our wonderful former employees, Marissa, I was able to FaceTime with my mom, and uh, 
it's a it's a crazy situation right now because um couldn't even be with her um so it was scary at times and you know it's uh you really rely on the staff uh to kind of guide you through that and we were lucky enough to be uh blessed with some amazing people we Keep had, the racket down. We had some nice quality time in the parking lot at the hospital. Yes. <laughs> yes. Was and I sat in the in her truck for a couple hours uh, waiting to be able to talk to her or something and just get some kind of word of what was going on. So we we did. We bonded yesterday afternoon. So we had uh we had a good time. And but then yeah. she spent some time on the TikTok. <laughs> I mean, well, here's the problem. Listen, it's not a bad thing that you, you couldn't go into the hospital, right? And so that was a horrible thing. You do you know me, right? I, well, that, I, I was getting there. You know me <laughs> when you right? really think about what what's going on. It's not a bad thing. However, I because you want to control the situation. It's not that I want to, and you want to be no. there. Yeah, yes, yes. Come on. I want to just make sure there's a lot of busy people there. It's called controlling the situation. I don't. Right. I don't want to be a burden on anybody. We're Sagittarians. We but if, if I know that if she needs something, if I'm there, I can take care of her and somebody else. Correct. Instead of taking a nurse or a, 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 a somebody away who's helping somebody who might really need the help. It just makes me feel like I'm helping the staff. And I, believe me, I'm not. I understand. She's so low maintenance. The reasoning. But it's it's it's. She's in, and so Greta's in good hands. She we is do in miss good having hands. her in the studio today, and she's and right, and of course, as much as as much as I I break her chops about being a a nudge because she is a nudge. Um, uh, when, yeah. So I'm gonna stop there. I, I miss her. Let's just. I have that. to say, uh, Liz even mentioned she's as much as sometimes she feels annoyed that she's sitting in, in her chair. chair right? Liz came and was upset that she wasn't in the chair today. Yeah. I pulled the newspapers out like I normally right. did because do it so she can have the newspaper and she should read the newspaper. Uh, and then sometimes I get the can I bring it back tomorrow? Yeah. So then when I go to read it, I get the, the day before's news. Yeah. At the same time, yeah. but that's okay. Love Greta. When, um, Say our prayers. Uh, it's not. A, it's not today. really way you want to spend Mother's Day, but um, so you get a do over. You're gonna do a Mother's Day do over. Yeah. We, oh, we're definitely gonna do a do over. I'm not thinking. Of and, <laughs> and, and you. I mean, you had some really good food at home that you, you hopefully. The so one to thing enjoy. she wanted was the she wanted paella. I wasn't gonna cook it. I really didn't have the time, so we ordered it. And Liz had just left to pick it up, and. Um, uh, when this everything started to cascade, and um, so Liz, when Liz brought it home, the three of us, me, Liz, and Ray, sat there and kind of just looked at each other and took a couple bites of food, and you know, so her her food is packed up really nice. I was thinking of maybe trying to, I don't know how I could even sneak it to her. What's not going to happen? Hopefully she'll be home. <laughs> Hopefully she'll be home tomorrow, and then genteel saying how she's sneak in the hospital. Uh, to visit mom and on a normal basis, sneaking in the hospital. I oh yeah, like this, I did. I stayed. It's, it's actually an easy thing to do, especially when you get, especially when you be friends with the nurses and you know someone. And but you can. Oh, that's easy. Not right now. That's yeah. really not. And I, you know what? I really wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to make somebody else sick or or bring home to my husband or my daughter or make you know. It's just. I understand the rule and I'm abiding by the rule. It's just. 
I feel for the people who have people in the hospital over long periods of time that are very sick. My, my heart breaks for them. So anyway, keep yes. us in your, keep my mom in your prayers. That's, that's the, oh, we're going to end on that. Yes. So uh, today, so yesterday was Mother's Day. We hope everybody had a nice day. Uh, and you're going to have a nice day when you get to celebrate yep. Mother's Day. Yep. Uh, today, uh, and that's Corey, Corey's hanging out because, one, he likes being in the studio audience. <laughs> yes, he does. Two, uh, he's, a, he's the residual uh, after we had a birthday parade today. The drive-bys. Outside the bowling center. So we, set, we had uh, three of our team, team members celebrate their birthday this week. Uh, we sang to, on the show... Michael got a birthday cake and a shout out. Oh, and he happy got birthday the full to treatment. The full, well, and because he's quarantined in here with us. <laughs> uh, Courtney celebrated her 21st birthday today. And Talk Caitlin had a birthday yesterday. Caitlin didn't make the parade today. But, you know, it just, I have to show because it's, I took a video uh, and, and it's fun. Uh, th this came up the other day while we were sitting here. <laughs> that's, that's for later. That's, that's, yeah. That is <laughs> one of my favorites. Uh, I, took that I was going to say one of you took that picture. So anyway, so they get ahead, get ahead of ourselves. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's, it's okay. Short. They get excited when they see things. Again, we're back to squirrels. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Easily distracted. Looking at the photo that we'll share later. Uh, here, here's a check out, check out the parade from today. <laughs> and poor John almost died on the last at the end there. And uh, so much for the safety of uh, drive-by parties. Yeah, you know the funny part. Um, you you want to do a drive-by in a place where everybody everybody comes, and it was nice that they wanted to do it here today, and yeah. so we all got to get to, yeah, we got together cool. safely. Uh, yeah. Happy birthday, Michael! Uh, Michael got some goods, some Corona-free goods, hopefully. Uh, some cheesecake, some bread pudding. I trust the bread pudding. Joni, of all people, was the one. Gloves. She, she was all. Uh, she's a, she's like me. She's a little uh, germaphobe. And she brought us presents, too. And she says, I Lysol, I Lysol them. They sat before I gave them to you. And I said, you don't need to put the, the gloves on. <laughs> so thank you, Joni. Thank you to everybody that, thank that, came, you. that swung thank by you. today yeah. uh, and participated in, in the drive-by. Hey, uh, we got an awesome show today. We got a really big show. And uh, super excited. You know, you, you, just, you never know what's going to happen here on Live from Raps. You just never know. 
never know. And our friend Joe Cal is not here in the studio today, but he is here with us. Uh, I want to let's bring Joe in. Joe, welcome to here. live from Ravs from your, the comfort of your home, from my man cave. Yeah, <laughs> that looks like an official office down there, Joe. Well, I'm turning it into that. This is week eight, Naz, that we're uh, that we're working from home. So, yeah, it's becoming my office a lot more regularly. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, it's nice to have you uh, with us, even though you're not in the studio today. Uh, it's episode fifty. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, you are a staple of, of of what we do here, and we're, we're missing you sitting here with us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I miss being there too, but uh, I'm not that far away, right? I mean, I'm literally like five minutes away. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's Almost. not a bad thing. You're right there. Hey, right. hey, Joe, uh, and I know you're not a Met fan, and we don't really care. <laughs> we uh, ignore that part of your personality. We love you. everything else about you. He's not in Met though. No. That's what that's what no, no, that's why that's, that's why, why he's allowed back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm a baseball fan. Correct. You, you are. And yeah. Naz, we've got a who, who is our special guest today? So today we have uh former New York Mets post-game analyst, uh former New York Mets pitcher, uh Nelson Figueroa. Check that out. Nelson Figueroa. Hi Nelson. Hello guys, how are you? Oh, we're so How are you? I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I'm well, trying to well, stay uh, steady here with uh, all the quarantine. So where yeah. are you right now? Right now, I'm. It looks like I'm in a dungeon right now. I'm actually <laughs> sitting sitting in my dining room, and uh, it, it the light is so weird. It goes the sunlight comes in and out, goes off and on. So that's a little bit better. Um, in Weehawken, New Jersey. Oh, okay. All right. Because you do, you also have a home in Arizona. Yes, my my house is in Arizona. I bought a house out there back when I got traded from the Mets to the Diamondbacks, and I showed up to uh, training camp on January fifth, and it was seventy eight degrees. I told my mom and dad I'm never coming back to New York. And uh, two years later, I bought a house out there and still own the home. But uh, I took the job at SNY and came back home to New York with. Uh, on the you know first flight I could to be around friends and family and uh, to be a part of uh, doing the broadcast with the Mets again. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So, um, how um, how are you making it through this uh, COVID world that we're living in right now? Yeah, it's been uh, very interesting. Uh, I was doing a podcast with the uh, New York Post. Jake Brown was my co-host. Uh, we were doing a Mets podcast, and it was going very well. But uh, no baseball uh, makes it tough tough to have a baseball podcast. So um, we've been put on hiatus for a little bit. Uh, just not having sports has been very, very weird, especially okay. when you consider hockey and basketball were gearing up for the playoffs. And, yeah. you know, baseball was just about to start. It's a really a fun time of the year all the way around. And uh, to see everything kind of get put on the back burner and, um, you know, our prayers, of course, first and foremost, go out to the uh, uh, people on the front lines, um, keeping us safe during these times. Um, I know my family has been impacted um, I had my mom and dad, my brother and my sister-in-law all tested positive very early. And, wow. um, 
Yeah, no hospital stay or anything like that. They were able to receive some medical treatments and got better and progressed over time and now have a clean bill of health. But uh, it was definitely scary to find out right away when this thing first starts and everything starts getting shut down that you can't go visit your family who are now testing positive. So they pulled through and, um, you know, just hoping that everyone else has uh, similar uh, outcomes from, um, you know, this and this hopefully we get back to some kind of normalcy here soon. Correct. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever normalcy looks like, right? I know. Who knows what that's going to be now? Everything else is going to seem so strange now. I, I, I live where I live the other day when we had the flybys going on with the uh, Thunderbirds and the uh, uh, the Blue Aces, um, the Blue Angels. Uh, it was right like outside of my house where everyone was kind of lined up. And I'm just looking around going, I cannot believe like we have all these people that are going to be watching this fly band. They're just lined up way too close. And it made me like uncomfortable. I, I was very yeah. uncomfortable by it. And just to think, you know, now it's like six feet seems like such a, it was such a weird thing before. And now it's like, it doesn't seem like it's enough until we get a clean, you know, a, a clean bill of health for, for most people and are able to kind of move on from this a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I thought the same thing yesterday driving around. I mean, the weather was nice, so there were people out. Yeah. Every time I drove past a group of people, I wanted to shout out the window. <laughs> Stay away from each other. You don't know each other. Oh, but yeah. It's it's crazy. It, it really is. It's a scary time. Yeah, yeah. no, without a doubt. And I think the, uh, you know, you start to realize um, even, you know, all the essential workers, like the grocery stores, the gas stations, and things like that, that, you know, keep things running so smoothly. Could you imagine not even having those little things right now and, and how, you know, how crazy we would be? Um, I know it's, it's, I've been to the grocery store more than ever in my lifetime in these past eight weeks. Um, I've bought more groceries than I've ever bought because everything was like, you know, one week you see there's no eggs, the next week there's nothing but eggs. So it, it's, uh, it's been a strange time. And I think, I, I think the good part about this is kind of you start putting some things into perspective and see how you have to prioritize things in your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, definitely family comes first and foremost. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I was always a big one in uh, my personal space. I'm actually excited that my personal space got extended. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you guys are about four lengths, uh, four lanes apart right now. So that yeah. makes it really interesting. We love each other, but we no, <laughs> respecting the, uh, we're definitely plus people gave us kind of a hard time. We used to sit a little closer to each other, but you know, we didn't want to upset the apple cart. Oh, I get so, it. I get it. Trust me. So usually when Joe is here, he kind uh, of sits in between and I'm the buffer. I'm the buffer. We nudge over a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, could see, you could see right where he would fit in nicely right there. You'd still have yeah, right, room. Right in the middle, right there in the middle. Not quite six feet. But I, then you wouldn't see us at all. Like we, we tried so much to get it and to get it into the frame. We said, "Ah, you know what? We've been and we don't let many people into our space here. Yeah. We've got uh, Jimmy and Mike working here every day. We've right. been together, uh, and a few others. Corey's been here a couple times. Like really, yeah. So we're just we're just kind of with Dan goes wait. Who are you letting in the building? <laughs> no, nobody. Nobody. Yeah. It's a well-oiled machine. You guys can't mess that up. No, we're certainly <laughs> chances. Uh, we'd like to be bowling uh, and doing what we do, but uh, Nelson, really, thank you for for George coming yeah. in and popping in with it's us today. It's a treat. This is, we've been doing this for the. This is episode fifty. Wow! Congrats. 
has been doing this for 50, 50, well, it's been 52 days since we took two breaks uh, during the quarantine. And we've been having some fun talking to some pro bowlers, uh, people in our community, mm -hmm. our staff, our bowlers, and it's been great. So to have you come on and uh, be a part of this is awesome. So, and we're true Met fans, so we're even more excited. We like it even better. And even better. Tune in every day, so. Well, I, I can't wait till uh, this is all, like I said, this is all over and I get a chance to uh, do another episode and we can actually be on the lanes and bowl. That would be fun. Oh, all right. Oh, nice. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah. Nelson, we're going to take you up on that. We do we do a lot of different things here. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get you on the lanes. When was the last time you actually bowled? Last time I actually bowled was sometime this winter. Oh, John Starks had a charity bowling event that I went to over at uh, Lucky Strike which is right across the water from me. I'm in Weehawken, so I could actually see Lucky Strike. Um, went over there and bowled. Uh, I was on lanes with a couple of WNBA players who dwarfed me, which is not normally what happens. You know, when you're six two, six three, and you're an athlete, I'm dwarfed by these these women who were incredible athletes. Um, but bowling is definitely one of my passions. It was actually my off-season workout when I was in high school because I was one of the skinny kids and I didn't like lifting weights. So I figured a 12 pound bowling ball was about as much as I wanted to lift. I've done his event uh, the last couple of years as well. And uh, that that's always a lot of fun. Uh, we did it one year. It wasn't Lucky Strike. It was the other place that's in the middle of the city. Um, Bullmore? Yes, Bullmore. We did it at Bullmore one year because I was over in the, uh, there's the uh, Asian section where it looks like Chinatown and it's all yeah. dressed up. Like, I, I was in the back there. I, was, I got called in last minute as a replacement. You know, when you're a reliever, you're used to subbing in the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the bullpen. The bullpen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, our, uh, my brother and, and Kevin Rourke are, are the reigning champions. They were the, they're the firemen. Uh, that came ah, out. yes. Very uh, nice. I have to Very say, nice. they're not fans, but they, they go to that event looking forward to yeah. being there yeah, and then being in that environment. And then the whole... The whole gambling aspect of uh, people betting on what team's going to win and, and how they get there is pretty cool too. Oh yeah, it's all—it's all for fun. It's all for the charity, and it's a very well done event. And I, I love taking part in it. Cool, nice. very nice. Joe, what do you got, Joe? Well, I'll tell you what. What I got is I'm going to play a little hit and run with our friend Nelson. Uh oh. Because I got to get back to work in about 15 minutes. Okay. Give or take. So <laughs> Nelson, we uh, we have a little bond because we're both Brooklyn guys. Okay. Um. Uh, you went to uh, Lincoln. Yes, correct? sir. Lincoln High School. You, Lee Mazzilli, and a lesser-known player named Dallas Smith from the Baltimore Orioles, who also went there. Yeah, yep. It was. Uh, I got to meet Lee. Um, I was in spring training with the Philadelphia Phillies, and he was the first base coach. And right. I met him as I'm pitching. Uh, I'm kind of noticing, um, you know, him yelling out some you know, yelling, Jeet, here we go, Jeet, here we go, two, here we go, two. And I'm noticing it's kind of matching up to which pitches I'm throwing. So <laughs> I I kind of uh, give him a little ribbing as I'm walking by after the inning's over. I introduce myself, and then he's like, hey, kid, how you doing? I said, good. I said, uh, you could kindly cut that out. And he's like, what? What am I doing? It's like, it's it's not a, it's not a uh, random thing when you keep yelling out the name for a fastball and the uh, number for a breaking ball. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. You know what? Lee's an Italian guy from Brooklyn. From oh, yeah. My old neighborhood. So oh, yeah. Be careful with those guys. Oh, yeah. The funny story with Lee was that my dad is an electrician, 
Um, growing up in Brooklyn, my dad actually was at his grandmother's house fixing her intercom system. And he's looking over at, she has all the pictures of him up on the wall and she has him for the Olympic speed skating picture and everything she was telling him all about Lee Mazillion. He's like, my son's Nelson Figueroa also went to Lincoln High School and he just signed with the Mets. This was like in 1995, 1996. Okay. And so it was kind of just a weird occurrence and with all the millions of people in New York. My dad is actually working on Lee Mazzilli's yeah. grandmother's intercom and got a chance to meet her and came home and told me about it. So that's a story that's I told cool. Lee as well. That's very cool. That's that Brooklyn connection again. Oh, without a doubt. That's right. Without a doubt. We got to stick together. For sure. For sure. Um, so N Nelson, um, who was a guy when you first came up who was that one player who kind of took you under his wing and kind of showed you the ins and outs and the ropes of how to be up in the show, you know? Well, on my way up, um, speaking of Brooklyn ties, um, when I got to meet John Franco for the first time, there you go. Um, I walk up to him and I say, hey, Mr. Franco, I like to introduce myself. He goes, Mr. Franco's my father. First of all, it's Johnny. <laughs> I said, Johnny, um, Nelson Figueroa, I went to Lincoln High School. And he looks at me and he kind of just gives that kind of once over. And I go, remember the skinny Puerto Rican kid who used to shove it up Lafayette's? And <laughs> he looks at me and he goes, you know what? You've cost me a lot of money, pal. He goes, wherever I go, you go. And I go, that that's a, that's, sounds like a great time, Mr. Franco. And he goes, Johnny. I said, Johnny, it sounds like a great time, but I'm a minor leaguer and I stay at the minor league side of things. Right. He goes, I will be picking you up. And from that point on, he picked me up every day and we did either dinner, we went out. It was the introduction to what big league life was like. And it happened very early in my career. Once I got to the major leagues, uh, Turk Wendell was a guy who um, I was with Philadelphia, my first uh, full season in the big leagues. In 2001, Turk Wendell was such a he was not the guy that everybody thought he was the crazy hunter with the bear claws and shark's teeth and all that stuff. He was eccentric. He was very, but he was such a great guy off on the field and off the field, especially as a teammate that um, he took us rookies under his wing. And I actually showed him it this year. We had fantasy camp together this year with the Mets. I showed him, he gave me a watch as a rookie gift. And um, he used to carry around this duffel bag full of watches and um, it was like a museum. You'd look at them and they were, I mean, all different kinds of watches. So we're checking out the watches and everybody kind of puts one on to try it. And he's like, all right, you have a choice. You keep the watch you're wearing or I'll buy you a suit. Well, I figured I, I was trying not to be 150 pounds my whole life. I don't think the suit <laughs> was a good investment, but I knew the watches don't really uh, depreciate very much. So I said, yeah, I'd love to have the watch if I can. He's like, yeah, go ahead, keep it. So I showed it to him this year and he was all excited about it. And I told him, I, he, asked, he, he asked one thing, and this is one of the things I learned very early. He said, make sure that you do it for someone else. And so that keep that kind of going. The only problem is fast forward 20 years and the guy signing his, his bonus is more than some of the guys made in their whole career. It makes it a little different. <laughs> yeah. But did you, did you ever get that, uh, you know, chance to actually pay it, pay it back a bit? Oh yeah, yeah. That that was one of the the great things is to um, have the opportunity to take someone under your wing and and have somebody kind of just show them the ropes, show just trying to make their life a little easier. When I was in um, with the Diamondbacks and I, I was going over to I hadn't gone over to Philadelphia. I was with the Diamondbacks. They sent me to a rookie development camp, and this was a thing that they had in Washington D.C. for a, a three day weekend they would have the top prospects come in 
and they would have mentors. So Jeffrey Hammonds, who's now with the Major League Players Association, sure, sure. was one of my mentors. Um, and we would run through the gambit of scenarios when it came to how much to tip a clubhouse guy, um, you know, what dues were on the road, um, even just how to, you know, for the, some of these guys, how to write checks, uh, you know, to pay your dues and stuff like that. Literally, literally pay your dues. Um, two scenarios where they would act out, you know, like if you were at a bar and, you know, a guy approached or a girl approached or a girl and a guy approached, like what all the different things. And they would freeze the scene and be like, okay, guys, what should you do? What right. shouldn't you do? And to fast forward to where we are now with social media and everybody's got a camera and everything else, okay. how different that was, but how much more prepared I was having gone to that seminar. And um, we, me and Hammonds laughed about it a few weeks ago. We, we, we met up and talked and as uh, I, I thanked him, um, I thanked him so much that the first time I faced him in the big leagues, I hit him in the ribs and he thanked me for that. I had a, I had a two strike count on him and I tried to uh, get him off the plate a little bit and I hit him in the ribs. And uh, the funniest thing is I'm trying to walk towards him to kind of be like, are you okay? And he's down on one knee and he's getting up on his bat and he looks and he sees me walking towards him and he goes, get the hell away from me. And I go, you're all right. And he goes, the ribs, you had to hit me in the ribs. <laughs> I, I wasn't aiming at the ribs. I just did not want to let you get extended on a, a breaking ball away. So I threw a fastball in. That's what I was taught. Uh-huh. Uh, you didn't want to let that one get all of it right into his uh, wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. You went in a little bit. And hey, listen, if it's, if it's going to keep him from rounding the bases and only put him on first, I take that right. exchange any day. There, there you go. It doesn't hurt me. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So Nelson, uh, you spent a couple of years playing overseas. Yes. What was the experience like going to China, and was it everything that you expected, or what was the one thing that you were, that you kind of found that this is really different? Yeah, uh, I played over in Taiwan for parts of three seasons, and in those three seasons, the of course the biggest thing is the language barrier, right? Um, my first year was 2007. I kind of went over there just for the experience. I was recovering from shoulder surgery and still didn't have a job in the States. And so what I said was, let's go over there. Let's learn something new. Let's experience something new. And I, I had a goal since you know the day I signed the professional contract to play as long as I possibly could until no one would pay me to throw a baseball. I, I was very blessed that a guy who didn't throw 95 miles an hour um, kept getting opportunity after opportunity because I was able to pitch and get people out. And so to show my value would be to just kind of go as many places as I could and soak up as much knowledge and information about the game. So getting to Taiwan, I wasn't even immediately on the roster. I waited around for a month and a half before one of the other American pitchers got hurt. And then I filled in for him and it was the Wally Pip. I had seven <laughs> straight starts after that and I was seven and zero. Oh. And then wow. I won in the championships as well. Uh, the championship series, I've won games one, four and seven. Um, and after that, it was, I was a totally different person. I was no longer Nelson Figueroa. I became Fegulo, which was my name in Chinese. <laughs> and, and it was like, uh, it was what I always thought it would be like to be in the major leagues where, you know, you can't really go anywhere without someone taking a picture or someone wanting an <laughs> autograph, going to the mall. And we went to the mall that next day, I remember, and people were thanking you for the discount because uh, you won the championship. They gave a discount over the whole mall. It was like a 30 percent off sale. And they were all bowing and thanking and taking pictures. It was, it was crazy. But um, that was the, the craziest thing was to learn, try to learn some of the language going from. Uh, 
my first year of buying a little pocket translator, which sounded like one of those speaking spells. It was horrible. Yeah. To my last year was in 2014. Um, I was using uh, Google Translate and I could speak into the Google Translate and it would say it in perfect Chinese to them whatever I wanted to say. And right. if they said something to me, it would translate it into English right there. So oh, it, it, it was a game changer for me because I was able to then go go places, do things, ride the, ride the train. They have a high speed bullet train that goes from uh, Tainan up to Taipei and what would normally be a eight hour drive, it does it in two hours. Wow, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So um, the last thing I have for you, because believe me, I could stay on and talk to you all day. I, really <laughs> could. I appreciate it. Um, so when you came back now, mm -hmm. what, did you, what did you take with you when you mm -hmm. came back to pitch here? What did you find that maybe made you a little bit more, um, little? I don't want to say skilled, but what was the one thing that you kind of took back here with you that you felt made you a better pitcher? Actually, skilled is a very good term that you used right there because what happened is while, while I'm there, what I tried to do was over there when you're facing this, it's only four teams. It's a, it's a, when I first went, it was six teams. After that, it was four teams. But when you're facing the same teams over and over and over again, it doesn't matter how good you are. Like most major league pitchers might face the same team three times in a season. I was facing the same team 20 times in a season. That makes it very difficult to continue to get people out. So you kind of had to kind of save your, you know, your out pitch or save a pitch that you thought was a guy's weakness for bigger situations and how to pitch to contact a little bit more. Um, learn to, you know, go deeper into games without having to do more. Um, right. Not striking those guys out over there. Everybody's like, oh, what level do you say is that? And, you know, you get some guys who come back and like, oh, it's like double A. It's like, you know, college ball. To me, baseball is baseball, right? Once you make the jump as a little kid from the 46 uh, 4660 and then you make the jump to 60 foot mile 90 foot bases yep. and the dimensions don't change right the ballparks are a little bit bigger a little bit smaller but for the most part the dimensions don't change once you have those bases and the mound is 60 feet six inches baseball is baseball uh, right. you could have any pitcher and any hitter on any team in the world and they could compete at, and that's what I love about baseball so for me it was trying to figure out ways to get out and it no longer became, oh, let's strike this guy out and waste eight, nine pitches. Because over there, they're very good hand-eye coordination. And they choke up and they put every ball in play or foul it off. So sure. it was – you could be out of the first inning with 30 pitches. And you're like, I didn't even give up a hit. I just threw 30 pitches. <laughs> so you had to learn how to really – try to uh, expand the strike zone and move the ball around and do little things. Kind of like when I came back and I was with the Mets, I would upset hitters' timing by – pitching from the stretch. So I would quick pitch. So my fastball normally was 88 to 91. But if I quick pitched with it, it made it about 93 to 94. If I slowed everything down and took my time, it would mess with the hitter's timing. So it, they never could gauge that 88 to 91. It always either seemed quicker, it seemed faster, it seemed livelier. Um, right. And that was one of the things that I learned from over there that, that again, when you learn a new skill, you want to add it you know, to your arsenal. So I took it, that whole experience was like an apprenticeship where, okay, now I have these things that I can do that nobody else knows that I can do because they haven't seen me in the state. So I had to take advantage of that while I could. So my first two years back with the Mets in 2008 and nine, 
And that's what made it a lot of fun to work with Rick Peterson, who really was uh, hands-on with the whole messing with tempos and timing and, and quick pitching with nobody on, things like that. So that was uh, definitely something that helped me uh, stay in the big leagues for a lot longer. That's a great answer. And uh, you know what? Um, I'm going to leave you now in the hands of my good friends, Naz and Frankie. And I got to promise you, Nelson, they are diehard, super diehard Mets fans. Good. So, and, and, and let me guess, your team of choice happens to be in pinstripes? Yeah, it happens to be in pinstripes. They play in the Bronx up in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, that's that's all right. The, the, the only thing I have against them is when they called me to play for them and I signed the minor league deal with them, I had long hair and I had to cut it. So I still hold that grudge. <laughs> they still have that. They still oh, have yeah. Got to have the hair. And only the only thing they'll allow is a mustache. Yeah. No beards. Yep. No, 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 no. They used to they used to come by with a credit card and check it on the side of your really? face. Yeah. And they make wow. you they'd make you shave. You couldn't even wear like I had a fight one of the fighting necklaces, which was like the little titanium necklace. I had one of them, like it was one thin one. And if I had it on, they made me take it off. And I said, that defeats the purpose of the necklace. It's supposed to help with blood circulation and everything else. And they wouldn't let me wear it. So one time the pitching coach, I'm going to throw a bullpen. It, there's nobody in the ballpark. I'm going to throw a bullpen at like 2:30 in the afternoon. And I'm walking out there and he goes, How many many times I got to tell you about this necklace and so I wow. pop it off my neck and I threw it into the stands <laughs> oh my god and wow. he went and got it for me and he brings it back to me he goes you didn't have to react that way I go I'm 30 some odd years old <laughs> this is ridiculous meanwhile Jabba Chamberlain was in the big leagues with like five of them on at one time <laughs> but it's a little different when you're in the big leagues you can do more of the things you want to do that's true I'll bet you if Derek Jeter showed up with that necklace on oh are you kidding yeah. me? They'd be and they'd be selling it throughout the stadium. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. That's right. Promotional night. Come get exactly. Your exactly. That big two on. <laughs> yep. Great uh, talking with you, Joe. Nelson, pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And uh, maybe one of these days, if you come over to Rabs the Bowl, I'll get on the wings with you. How about that? We'll do it, brother. Thank All you. Right. Take care, Nelson. You Dennis too, Frankie. Take care. Thank you. Bye, Go Joe. back to work. We'll see you soon. I got to get back to work. Bye. <laughs> uh, well, it's always nice to have Joe Cal. Yeah, Cal love with him. Us. He's always Even got a nice perspective on the he's, game. He's in and out. Uh, <laughs> hey, we have some questions from for, from some fans here. Okay. Uh, I want to I want to ask them because uh, otherwise they're just going to get lost in in the abyss here. Yeah. Um, now, uh, take away the first question here. How do you think uh, Marcus Stroman fits into the number two spot in the rotation with Syndergaard out? Well, you know what? Marcus Stroman has been an ace for Toronto for a long time, and pitching in the American League East is no easy task. Um, he's a guy who is a bulldog competitor and you know, one of those guys that you talk about say that it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog, right? He gives you everything he has out there. And Last year was a little – um, I think it was eye-opening for him as well. When you pitch for your hometown team and the yeah. team you grew up rooting for, it's a different kind of pressure. It's a different kind of element. And to me, he didn't look very comfortable early on. He didn't look like that same guy that used to mess around with hitters timing and have that swagger. And um, he was pitching you know, and giving up three, four runs early on in the game, and then he would get better from that. Uh, I, I just don't think he was in a, a good rhythm, and that's difficult to do when you're somebody like him and you're used to working with the same catchers uh, in Toronto for several years. So then you go and you fast forward, and he's got to work with a different catcher, different style. 
uh, he just didn't seem very comfortable. I was looking, I'm looking forward, I'm going to speak very positively. I'm looking forward to big things from him because I do believe in his stuff. I think he's got tremendous stuff and I'm excited to see him pitch this year with for the Mets. Yeah. You know, they did talk a lot about his emotion that he mm-hmm. kind of wears his emotion on his sleeve and, and, you know, compound that with, you know, pitching for a team that he grew up rooting for. Like when you come to the stadium you, uh, and to on your day to pitch, you have to, you must feel that every every appearance. Yeah, it's it's. Let's put it this way: this is what makes it really different, right? Because when you're in Toronto and all your friends and family are back in New York, they're watching on TV. There's not really that pressure. Yeah. When you're in New York and you have to worry about how many tickets you're leaving, where's everybody sitting? Is everybody getting in? Okay, is my grandmother getting in? Is she being taken care of? And you you have all those things going in the back of your mind, and you think you you know, oh, I'll, I'll put somebody else in charge of this, but it, it's still wearing on you because you want to make sure that everybody's going to be there. Everybody's taken care of, you know, you, you want to focus on your job, but at the same time you're checking your phone right before the start, just to make sure everything's okay. And then you go out there and you know, it, it, you always want to try and do more than, or have your best game of your life, you know, and especially in front of your family and friends. So I think that's what made it difficult for me early on in my career. I remember telling people that first, you know, I would let them come to a game. I'd get them tickets to a game. And then after that, I would say, hey, listen, I'd rather buy you uh, the season pass and you can watch me every game everywhere because it's cheaper, actually, in the long run yeah. uh, with the way that the tickets were at City Field. So for me, it was um, just about learning how to you have to learn how to say no. And that's a difficult thing, especially when you haven't been around so much and when you get a chance to finally do it. And, uh, you know, I think he went through that a little bit last year and this year it'll be uh, much more comfortable for him. Good, good. We hope so. We want to see him do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a follow-up question here from, from John, who's living in Florida in Port St. Lucie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you have the same feeling for Diaz as you do? <laughs> you know what, Diaz is has a blessed arm and is still one of the top closers in the game um, stuff-wise. Uh, now, when it came to results last year, it was very frustrating, and no one was more frustrated than Diaz. Uh, you know, everybody talked about the juice baseballs and how the slider was a lost pitch. You even look at Noah Syndergaard. He lost feel for his slider for a majority of the season, and that's a difficult thing when it's you're a two-pitch pitcher, a fastball and a slider, and you're being called on to shut the door in games, and you don't have a feel for that slider. It, it, even though you have a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, somehow it, it makes you feel like you're at a disadvantage. And I think that's something that hopefully one of the coaches talked to him about is that just with his fastball alone, there's 70 places you can put a fastball in the strike zone and compete rather than thinking you have to blow it by them down the middle and not focus on that being so fine in the middle, but letting that ball explode through the zone and put the onus on the hitter to put it in play and make contact. Cause again, it's a game of failure for the hitter. They make out, you know, seven and a half times out of 10 and they're still going to the all-star games. So I think that's where if you, if I had Diaz in my, uh, if I was under, um, he was under my tutelage, I would speak to him about that and, and about really feeling like he can attack the zone and try to find a third pitch. There's ways to there's ways to have a third pitch without even having a third pitch. I told Jim Brewer about this one time, and I said if Diaz just kind of was sitting there, he had two strikes on a hitter, and he said no to the fastball, and he said no to the slider, and he said no again. The hitter would step out because he's like, okay, this guy's got two pitches. What the hell is he saying no three times for? So that's something in itself. And he's like, but won't they get? You know, won't they know? I said honestly, 
I taught guys in Taiwan. I was a pitching coach and pitcher in Taiwan. One of the things I taught them was they've been playing against the same guys over and over again. So my closer who has been pitching there for 15 years, he comes into a game and they know he throws a fastball and a split finger. And so he gets ahead with two strikes and they would sit there and wait for his split finger. So I told him, I said, just keep shaking your head. And they're like, what? I go, hold a different pitch. He goes, what do you mean? I said, put, grab a change up. When you get the ball back, grab a change up, make your glove really big and make your glove really big and show a change up, even throw it in warmups. And you don't have to throw a change up, just throw a fastball in the dirt a little bit slower. And they'll be like, oh, wow, good change up, good change up. No one will know. And then in the game, focus on your two pitches, but just put a little bit of doubt in the hitter's mind by shaking off. And that'll give you another added weapon without actually having to change anything. Yeah, yeah. This game is really different for relievers now, I think, than even when you pitched. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, one year you're a star, and then the next year you're uh, you're on the outs. It, it's out. difficult. It's difficult to find anybody who's had a five-year steady run. Um, even you look at Hader. Hader was a guy, you know, his first year in the big leagues, he blew everyone away. It wasn't even close. And then you look at last year and it seemed like they, uh, the one trick pony, he just couldn't blow it by anybody anymore because hitters were laying off that high fastball. They weren't chasing it nearly as much. And they made him have to throw his second pitch to get them out. And um, he didn't have nearly the success that he had his first year. Um, it, there's no Mariano Rivera anymore it's not it's not that simple Chapman Chapman is no longer the Chapman of old throwing 104 miles an hour you know he's actually developed throwing more of a cutter and some change-ups and stuff like that so I think it's it's to the point where there's with all the data and analysis and the metrics that they have where they know hey this guy gets to two strikes on a right-handed hitter he's going to his slider 80 percent of the time that's a very high percentage for a hitter to be there sitting there and looking and waiting for a pitch and pitchers have to kind of change. They have to change it up. You have to look at that data. Like that would be the first thing that I would do is I would literally print out the data from today. What is another team seeing on me? What am I, if I'm, if I'm pitching to that much predictability, then I'm doing myself a disservice. So I have to change something up. And whether that's again, Faking it like I have a split finger and just bouncing a fastball during warmups, and somebody says, "Oh, it was a split finger." If I throw a, f- a fastball just for effect and I bounce it, they don't know that it wasn't a split finger that bounced and it was a nasty pitch. That's something that I would learn to do just to kind of keep unpredictability is the biggest weapon when it comes to being a pitcher. You can tell Jacob Degrom can tell every hitter what's coming and they still have to square it up and have a tough time doing so. So that's why for me, if you can be unpredictable and you can not pitch to a certain pattern every single time, you'll have more success. Yeah. 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 Oh, what am I, what am I reading? Oh, Oh, so your friend Joe (laughs) LeBron wants to know when you think Wally Backman is going to be named manager. He's been beating this dead horse for a long time. (laughs) So the we we got it. We actually met arguing over Twitter because he went off about the Mets and Wally Backman, and he's getting snubbed, and this is terrible. And that and listen, I love Wally. Uh, Wally is one of the biggest competitors you'll ever meet. Uh, Wally's fiery. Wally's all those things. And what I said to Joe when I first reached out to him was, Wally Backman didn't just start coaching. Yeah. He didn't just start managing. He's been doing it for a long time why has he never been given an opportunity? 
And it, it can't be because of his personality. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that working at SNY with the 86 guys um, and not being an 86 guy, I had to kind of stand my ground on certain things. This is one of the things I had to stand my ground on because I, I'm not discrediting Wally's ability to manage. Can he manage? Absolutely. However, there's other things that go into being a major league manager. There's other things. The direction he kind of was at the wrong point in baseball. Baseball started turning into more analytical, more so than a guy who was just a good clubhouse manager or a good fiery manager, like the Jim Leland's of the world. And the, you know, those guys, he was, he was a guy that you could see clashing with a lot of superstars because they play the game differently than he did. You could just see that happening. You know, I I could see him in Cespedes, fisticuffs, like the old school (laughs) Reggie Jackson and Billy Martin days. I literally, that would be my biggest thing is like, how would, during the interview process, it would be, how would you handle today's player because today's player is quite different than the 86 team that fire that that fire and brimstone and and, and everything that they brought then they used to fist fight every other week with a team they didn't care that team was they were built that way baseball players aren't built that way anymore and it's very difficult um to just push that and say that this is the only way to win If that was the case, they would have won more than one World Series because yeah. it was only 86. But to me, Wally, um, you know, he went to Mexico for a little bit and he's been back around. He did independent ball. He's done everything. So his resume is there. Just I don't know if he he's going to have to prove to someone that he can embrace the analytics. He can embrace today's player and he can find a way of, of leading um today's style of game. You look at the managers that are being hired, they're more Aaron Boone is not a big controversial guy that you think of who's going to fight anybody or, or, you know, get into an argument even with an umpire, even though that was a great argument that he had with the uh, savages in the box, (laughs) but he's not that kind of guy, right? you, You look at somebody that kind of works more so with the front office and won't rub against the front office to do it his way. Um, until he's able to prove that, I don't think he's going to get an opportunity at the major league level. Well, he's proven himself to Joe Laverde, so what does it matter? <laughs> no, as long as long as he can manage Joe's team anytime. I told, I told Joe that when uh, we have fantasy camp. I said, Joe, listen, call Wally up. Wally can manage your team all day. I, w- I would love to see how you guys do. One thing's for sure. You know that if you don't win on the field, you're going to win off the field. <laughs> yeah. He uh, and so Joe was with us this past week, and so thank you, Joe, for yeah. for hooking us up with Nelson here. And uh, <laughs> invite him onto the show, but maybe it's a good thing we didn't. <laughs> yeah, that would have been interesting. I, I was supposed to. So the first year he he had he couldn't make it down uh, for fantasy camp, but his son plays as well, so his son was going there. So I told him, I said, uh, "Oh, goody, you sent your son." I go, "Well, the sins of the father uh, have to be picked." So. He goes, you're not, he goes, you're not going to hit him, are you? I go, oh, no, no, no. I promise you I won't hit him twice. <laughs> so it, it's uh, been a running joke. And they're, they're a tremendous family. The Lavertis are, are great people. I got a chance to know them. And uh, uh, they're definitely some of my favorite people down there at Fantasy Camp. Yeah, They certainly are, especially for us here at Rabs. Uh, hey, so you talk a little bit about SNY. So these days of late, uh, you step into the studio at ML, uh, the MLB studio in, in Secaucus. So our buddy Todd, mm-hmm. uh, this is a, a selfish question because Todd, Todd does close the work. I want to know how you like that, that experience and stopping by there. Uh, uh, it's awesome. It, again, 
SNY is great. And as far as regional networks, there's none better. I, I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed learning um, what it took to put together a quality broadcast. And I, you know, commend all the people that I worked with at SNY. They were fantastic. They taught me so much. And um, I think what speaks volumes is our last two seasons of working together, we won Emmys back-to-back uh, -back seasons. And it was the first Emmy that the pre and post game show had ever won before. And so I think we, we just, we hit a nice stride and um, you know, it was unfortunate that they decided to go a different direction. Um, at the same time, I wanted more opportunities doing more things in this digital age. I felt like there was a, a way to use me in a higher capacity, um, you know, in, in ways that MLB network use their guys. And, you know, they have elements that go on the internet that stay on the internet forever. It's a, there's a library of things that you can look up over there. We didn't have that same kind of thing. And so I was looking forward to doing some things like that. So going over the MLB network side of things, I mean, that place is incredible. I mean, when you have Studio 42 with the uh, baseball field right in there and, uh, you know, full mound, full everything. I remember my first year at SNY, I, I literally used a piece of paper as a mound uh, to show where somebody stood on the on the, the rubber, on the right side or the left side of the rubber. So I folded a piece of paper in half because we didn't have a mound even or anything like that. So um, it was one of those things where you 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 kind of – it's like going to the major leagues from the minor leagues, you know, again, no disrespect to the SMY, but it's MLB network. It's nationwide. It's some of the elite talent um, in uh, as far as analysts and, and broadcasters in the game. Uh, they, they do such a phenomenal job. They're guys that I looked up to, you know, throughout my career watching them. And then I got a chance to work alongside them, you know, guys like Harold Reynolds, Al Leiter, uh, Plesak, Ron Darling, Ron Darling has been everything for me. He's he's kind of been that blueprint that I've been trying to follow, um, you know, since I decided to take on this career um, to be an analyst and to then jump into the booth and be able to kind of uh, explain the game with a different set of eyes. And, and I, I, I thank Ronnie all the time for the, the, the input that he's given me uh, throughout my career. So it, MLB Network is something that I, again, I still aspire to be a regular there. Whenever I get a chance to fill in, I call myself the substitute teacher. I'm like Geico. I live 10 minutes away. I live 10 minutes away. So if somebody's flight is delayed or anything, boom, they give me a holler and I run over and, and, and do a show. And I'm able to do, I think my versatility to be able to do any of the shows um, makes it uh, makes it very appealing for them as well as as well for myself. But uh, that building is is awesome. It's just a it's a great place to to go and do a tour and, and check out. Yeah. Well, I will say you're missed on SNY post game. So thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you. A great loss for them. Uh, My opinion. Uh, we, we we agree. Uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't had the opportunity to go see the studio there in Scoggins, but I've seen the in, in Times Square at one point. They had the the, the MLB experience. Experience, yep. Yeah, and yeah. that that was that was just awesome. And they took the they took the network experience also in there. And then now they're rebuilding. It looks the last time I was down there, they're rebuilding that whole that whole store front. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what's happening there, but well, the old the old SNY studios on Fifty First Street. MLB has bought bought those that studio out, um, and they reworked that whole thing. So they're moving. I believe the dot com is moving to Midtown. Um, this up, they were in the process of moving um, up until everything hit. So it'll be interesting to see um, what elements they'll be able to 
take out from there. And again, using something like Times Square when you're trying to get uh, some B-roll and get some fans just passing by and get some opinions, that's it's a great way to uh, be able to hit a lot of people very quickly. You have a built-in audience every day. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. That was one of the fun parts, right? We would sit there and we'd call it the fishbowl. It was like what it would feel like to be in a fishbowl because everybody's looking in the glass and tapping on the glass. And, you know, we had some random things happen throughout the years, especially we had those late-night shows, you know, finishing at 2 o'clock in the morning on the West Coast games. And, um, you know, that was one of the fun things was to interact with the fans in between takes. Um or com when we have a commercial break, you know, just being able to wave to a fan, go out there afterwards, sign some autographs and stuff. And just, I, I think fans really liked the idea of, well, hey, we're walking, we're, we're in Midtown, you know, oh, let's stop by the SNY studios. And if it was that time right before the show, they would come by. We had some regulars who would come by and some people, when they would leave uh, on their way home, they'd stop in and watch the beginning of the show because they could watch it right up there and then look in. And it's uh, it was fun to do now that uh, the World Trade Center, we're on the, we were on the 50th floor. So it made things a lot different. If you were seeing some fan on the outside of the 50th floor, then something was wrong. <laughs> yeah, or, or just be the window washer at least. Yeah, yeah we'd hope, right? <laughs> so, so I have a question. It's totally off topic. Uh -oh. uh, you went to the Mark Twain Intermediate School for mm -hmm. uh, gifted and talented. Yes. So, what was your gift? Athletics. Oh, okay. Good. Yep. Okay. No. Athletics, athletics was my talent. That's what I originally went in for. Um, and it was the way that that school was set up um, where you kind of specialized in whatever area your talent was. There was music, there was dance, there was drama, there was uh, audiovisual talent. Um, there, was, there was a gambit of different things that you could learn. Um, but you went in and you auditioned and you know, we went through a physical fitness test and you talked about anything that you were, you know, you thought that you excelled in. And so, of course, baseball was my thing back then. And I was a runt. I was always the smallest kid in every class and every school I, I was at. I, I didn't develop until much later in life um, after my surgery. And I was 30 years old. I was 155 pounds at the major league level. So that tells you most kids in the Little League World Series are heavier than me. Um, <laughs> So that was uh, Mark Twain was a very good opportunity to um, focus on not just baseball, but I learned a lot of other sports and to learn some of the disciplines and the rules and just learn the um, nuances of training for other sports. I think that also helped me in a way that um, really gave me a, a good perspective on things and once I left Mark Twain, uh, I didn't have a freshman year at Lincoln. I went in as a sophomore. Um, I was able to play at the varsity level right as a sophomore and and uh, beat out the seniors that were that had positions um, and be able to play right away. Uh, in fact, I didn't even pitch my my sophomore year. I pitched three games. Um, I was three and zero, pitched three games, and we won the city championship in Yankee Stadium. And I played left field, and I had never played left field in my life. I was playing. I was playing either shortstop or third base throughout the playoffs, and then because we wanted to get the seniors to have a chance, um, I moved to the. I told them. I said, "Put me in the outfield if you need to." I said, "Let you know." I, I, the seniors are the reason that we're here. You know, so if, if this might be their one shot, so I, uh, I respectfully went to the uh, left field and uh, had had some fun uh, playing left field for the first time. 
That's yeah. awesome. Thinking how bad could I really mess this up from the <laughs> <my> field? <laughs> hey, that was one of the things is that it's it's such a different um, perspective of things because the way that the fields are sloped and you can't even see into the dugouts because the the angle. So the further out you go in left field, the more you can't see what's going on in the dugout. And the coaches are trying to wave, you know, move, move me left, move me right. And I could barely see hands. And so I, they, we had the relay, you know, where I had to play and stuff like that. But uh, I remember playing there and I remember I was a switch hitter back then. And I hadn't, I wasn't batting even. I didn't hit in my sophomore year very much. I had a DH I had a DH for me. It was kid was a catcher normally, but we had a senior catcher. So the freshman catcher who had tremendous power, he would bat in my spot. And I just, I played defense. Um, so I was a shortstop. And then what happened was we get to the playoffs and you couldn't DH for anybody but the pitcher. And they didn't want to do that. So I was able to, uh, I, when I pitched, um, I had to hit for myself. And I actually wound up hitting pretty well during the playoffs, which got me the start in left field. And I hit a line drive down the left field line. And I thought for sure this thing was dropping. If it drops, it's going to be a triple. And this guy made a tremendous diving catch to the fact that it came out in the Daily News and said, line drive off of Nelson Figueroa's bat, tremendous diving catch made by <laughs> So I was like, at least my name got in the paper that way. But, yeah, we won the city championship. Joe DeLuca hit a two-run home run to put us ahead. And we went we won two to one. It was either two to one or three to two. I know we're old now. We were just talking about this the other day. We uh, that group from Lincoln, we still get together and have dinner every year and go go out for Christmas uh, and celebrate, you know, still being friends after all these years. So cool. so you mentioned uh, when you were playing that you learned uh, the nuances of other sports. Mm -hmm. Um what do you think about the approaches now in Little League and Babe Ruth and with high school players when it comes to their throwing and rest and uh, pitch counts? Mm -hmm. Well, that's something that's really interesting is because I there's a fine line, right? Because most kids these days, they don't throw nearly as much as we used to because of video games and the internet and being on their phones and iPads and everything else, they don't throw nearly as much. Um, and there's a theory that if you don't throw as much, you won't wear out your arm and you won't have injuries. I was raised on the other side of that. I was raised as this is a muscle that needs to be a muscle group that needs to be trained. So the more you throw um, and throw correctly and learn how to throw correctly. And the more you train that way, the stronger your arm's going to be. And that's, the way that I always did things. And it didn't matter if I was throwing a baseball, a tennis ball, a sponge ball, a softball. Throwing was everything for me because I had a really good arm since I was a young kid. And, and I just always wanted to be playing the game outdoors. Um, nowadays, it's different. And I think what we run into is some of these kids just don't have the proper fundamentals. And so they get hurt a lot quicker and they lose that passion for the game because a it might become hard b it hurts it doesn't really hurt when you're playing with a joystick online um, you don't have a lot of pain there's not a lot of pressure to doing those things right um, so being that baseball is a game of failure and you see a kid who you know might have been really good at ages eight and nine and then he gets to 10 11 12 the game starts getting a little bit harder and it's kind of that pivotal point of what to do uh, how dedicated are you? How much do you love it? Or how much does your parent love it? And 
trying to push you that way. Yeah. Um, that's a very different element as well. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing parents leaving kids back just so they can be the biggest seventh grader um, oh. in the upcoming season. It, to me, there's a lot of things that are different in just the playing of the game and the love of the game. When it comes to pitch counts, I'm all for that early on in the season. I'm all for taking care of these kids and making sure that, um, but I, as I say in the big leagues or for even big league pitchers and minor league pitchers, they've got to learn how to perform under that pressure when it comes to that situation. And the more chances that you get to experience that, the better you're going to be at it. So pitching with being on fumes where, where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm close to that 80, 90 pitch mark, whatever it is in little league. If I never get a guy out at that point, then I always, I will always think to myself, I don't have any success once I get to pitches 80, 90, because I, I always give it up. I give up a hit. I give up a home run. I give up this, but I never got a chance to learn from that and, and to show that I can overcome that. If you're not able to do that, then you're, the growth is stunted. And that's where I, I feel that happens at the major league level. Even we've got starters now who are perfectly comfortable with going five innings. Um, we had Jason Vargas with the Mets a few years ago. I mean, he was making $8 million a year to go four and a third. I, yep. And honestly, I didn't see him with very much uh, uh, fighting against it and saying, hey, I got to at least go five. You know, they pull him out after four and a third and he's like, okay, thank you very much because the check's going to cash the same exact way. Um, that to me is where I think we do a disservice to a lot of these guys because now you do put a lot of pressure on the bullpens and those relievers have to be even better and better and better every time out because they are the ones that are facing the big parts of the lineup and the big situations and they're facing the same guys over and over and over and over right. again. More, they become more exposed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once Now they're seeing them twice. So it, it strains the, every, the whole uh, pitching staff. The guys that were starters are starters for a reason, right? Those are the guys that you see and you can project that they can get the same guys out three times in a game. Right. Right. So now when you go and you're trying to do that with relievers and especially in the three game series and you're like, OK, we'll bring this guy in to face this guy every single time he comes up. Oh, there's going to be a time where he the matchup is going to go the other way. And then what? And then what do you do? You, you've only honed this one guy. I look at Jerry Blevins when that whole fiasco happened. Um, he had faced Herrera and gotten him out. It was uh, 083. He batted against him one for 12. And. Mickey Callaway ran out there to make the pitching change, but they hadn't announced that Herrera was going to hit. And so they pulled Herrera back because they didn't want him to face Blevins because Blevins, again, one for 12 with like six strikeouts. And um, he wound up facing a right-handed hitter. The problem was, is that not necessarily the strategy. I could understand it. Um, but at the same time, Jerry Blevins was warming up to face the lefty. He was warming up his big curveball. He was warming up his fastball down and away. And all of a sudden, now he's got to face a righty, and he didn't even really throw any change-ups. He didn't really work on the, the inside part to a lefty. He now has to kind of change everything he was doing, and he doesn't even know who he's facing. You know, like he has no information on him, no data. He's running out there blind now and has to just kind of go through it. He goes out there, and the kicker of the whole situation with that was he gets the guy out that he faced, no problem. But he's still in the game. And the next guy that was coming up was Hernandez, who Cesar Hernandez, who batted over 400 against Jerry Blevins. 
So I go, so out of the frying pan and into the fire, basically, is what you're doing to the poor guy because he wasn't expecting to face righties. And now he's got to face Hernandez because you put him in there in that situation. He got the righty out and things could have went awry, but he got out of that as well. I think that's just some of the parts of the game that become to be a little, a little too much. So this year seeing that, you know, pitchers have to throw to three hitters was going to be a, a little bit of an eye open experience for some. So, okay. So we're sitting here and we're listening to you analyze so many different parts of the game. Do you see yourself down the line as staying as an analyst or do you have maybe uh, maybe in the back of your head the want to be a pitching coach or a manager? Or do you like where you are? Um, that's a tough one for me because I think the part about being an analyst is you're never wrong. <laughs> um, and I, I, I had to explain that to Mickey Calloway one time. I said, I said Here, here's the thing with – with everything and news conferences and everything else. And I'm in the media now. I'm never going to be wrong. I have the advantage of hindsight. So whenever you make a decision and I have to explain it, I'm never going to be wrong. Right. Right. You know, so that's one of the things that's, it, it's, it's an advantage for me because no one is tuning in immediately and going, Oh, what did you see? I usually might get some information. I might get some inside information as to why he didn't use Familia in the ninth and he used somebody else. Sometimes I don't get that. But and then we find out in the post-game press conference, oh, this is why Familia wasn't available. I don't know that. So for me, when I go on the air 30 seconds after a game ends and they say, why didn't he use Familia? And I say, I don't know. The matchup was there. He had the guy. So there must be a reason. So then we listen to the press conference and, oh, there was a reason. Boom. I look like a genius. <laughs> So it's never it's never going to be that way. So for me, the analyst work is fun. It's it, I mean, there's 30 teams, especially if you're working for MLB Network, you're working for 30 teams. Right. There's so much baseball to analyze um, when it comes to coaching and managing. Um, yeah, I love it. I, I think I think that's something that I've started to do more and more now. I reached out. Um, to the Mets and said that I would be interested in kind of pursuing that avenue and, and you know, what ask for advice as to what they think I should do or how I should do it. Um, and we were in talks and, and trying to see if there was a, uh, if there was a position or if a position could be created in the meantime, where it's almost kind of like an imprint, um, internship where I'm learning about these things, even if they already have coaches and, in line, uh, you know, I could be a roving instructor who goes and kind of sees how things are run at, at this organization's level. You know, I, like I said, I coached over in Taiwan and had success there, but they want to see you coaching in their organization. They want to see you coaching and organized baseball. And like I said, baseball is baseball, no matter where you play in the world. Um, so for me, it's been, I, I've grown enough that I'm no longer going to be offended when the uh, you know, first rounder tells me he made, you know, his signing bonus was $4 million and that's more than I made in my career. What do I know? And uh, I can look back and say, Hey, yeah, you know what? I had a 11 year at, at the major league level up and down for 11 years and then worldwide and professionally just wearing a uniform for 19 years. Um, so I've experienced a lot of things both on the high and low end um, that I think I could add value to any, any current staff at the major league level. So I'm, I'm looking forward for that opportunity. And, and I think if it's the right fit, then that that's something that I would like to do uh, again, chasing those, that full 10 years of service time um, is something that you can do as a coach. So that's very appealing to me as well. 
Yeah, well, sometimes it's it's hard to separate the two though at the same time, right? So to be able to coach mm-hmm. is one skill set, but the other skill set to be able right. to be the analyst and and, right. and tell the story. Uh, sometimes they don't work together, right? And so it's finding the happy medium. And then yeah. it seems listen, you, it seems like you've got a hold on it, but I would imagine that's that's a struggle for for someone. Oh no, that, it's a big time struggle. Let's put it this way: so Doug Flynn was one of my coaches. Um, my first full season of pro ball down in Columbia, South Carolina. And one of the things uh, he only coached one year. And the problem was, is that as he's working with players and he's telling this player, just, you know, keep, keep working hard, keep putting in the time, keep putting in all the uh, extra reps, coming early, leaving late, doing all the drills and everything else, you know, you're going to get your opportunity. But inside he really knows that the guy that's playing ahead of him is a first rounder. And this guy is never going to see the field. And you have to lie to this person over and over and over again. Um, that's very difficult. That's a very difficult thing to do where you have to tell bold-faced lies. Um, and it's, you know, it's because of the overall picture of things. You know, everybody's worried about them. You know, what does this mean for me? You're one of 24 guys or 25 guys at that level. And then there's three, four more levels ahead of you, not to mention the 25 guys that are already in the big leagues. So you don't always see how the dominoes fall. And I was a, I was a kid like that when I was first going up. It was like, I'd look at my numbers compared to everybody else and go, why am I not getting a chance? Why am I not in the big leagues? Well, that's because they're paying a guy $4 million at the big league level who um, has, has your same skill set. And unless he gets hurt, you're not gonna get the opportunity. He's making more money than you are. Um, Starting a player's time clock. We keep hearing about that and what they did with Pete Alonso last year. They kind of threw caution to the wind and said, hey, we want to see this kid right now. We think he deserves it. And that was great. That was the first time in a long time that we've seen a team do that. Um, but that's another thing that you kind of don't understand the the nuances to it. And that's where you see how a front office and being an analyst and listening to all the different sides of things and, and seeing how it fits. I, if I could tell younger me, hey, just shut your mouth and <laughs> keep doing what you're doing and you're going to get an opportunity. Just make, you know, like if I knew if my numbers were so great against right-handed uh, hitters, you know, if I held right-handed hitters to under a 200 batting average and they moved me to the bullpen as a reliever, my focus was getting the hell out of the bullpen rather than saying, you know what my focus needs to be? Getting out every single righty I ever face because I could go right to the big leagues from double A because of that. Uh, so when, so when you're in the studio, there's obviously a time clock. So you, you, I would imagine you have to, you have to adhere to that. Uh, so, <laughs> oh <then> God. <laughs> That's the worst. That's the worst. Honestly, that was one of the biggest things in the beginning of my career was 30 seconds to tell you my answer. 30 seconds. That's what they wanted. To, that's what they give you. And they count in your ear, five, four, three, two, and trying to do that and speak at the same time and to tell you everything I know in 30 seconds where I know if I don't hit all five points, it's not gonna I'm, make sense. I'm gonna hear it from right. you know Twitter, Facebook, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. What about this, this, and that? Yeah, you get a chance to put all that out to paper where me, I have to give you the main point in 30 seconds and say there's some other things and then hope that Gary Apple or the host comes back and says, hey, what other things are there? And then I could continue on. But they want to hit you with 30 seconds at a time because people's attention span 
um, seems to you know linger off after about 45 seconds is what they say. So that's why I try try to hit them with a short, quick answer and then extrapolate from there. Okay, so I want you to extrapolate this. You have 45 seconds. Tell us how you feel about the Houston Astro debacle. Um, I didn't see it as a debacle. If they went 161 and one, then it'd be a debacle. Um, here's an inside scoop of the Houston Astros as a team, as an organization. The last three years, 2017, 18, and 19, they were the number one team in all of baseball of batting average on the road. So that defuncts any of that. Oh, it's because they know what's coming. They didn't have the system set up on the road. So what is it? They have a very good approach of contact first about fouling off pitches, about hitting pitches that they're looking for or pitchers, uh, pitchers weakness pitch. And um, they've done a great job of that. That's why they're one of the best teams in all of baseball. As I said earlier, DeGrom can tell you what he's throwing. Right. Doesn't so, mean you're going to hit it. Right. So that, that to me is where I understand the use of the technology in real time is the, the issue that I have because I know how difficult this game is. And I told somebody, if you were standing up to the plate, there's 46,000 people in the eighth and ninth inning going ape, right? Your team's in a rally and they're banging the thunder sticks and they're banging the chairs and, they're and you think you can hear a garbage can inside of a clubhouse while the pitch is coming in mid flight or somebody whistling. That's not happening. That's not happening. And it's not having that big of an effect. What, it, what has a really big effect is sitting on a pitch, getting a mistake and all major league hitters hit mistakes. All right. You still have to get out there and do it, right? Yeah. You still have to get out there and do it. Well, listen, I played in the steroid era and there was no bigger cheating element than steroids. And what I said to most people were, you saw some of the superstars in the game and, you know, they took it to another level where they were breaking home run records, but you didn't see the 200, 300 minor league players or guys that were right on the cusp that still had to hit a baseball. It still had to, you know, play the game uh, on all sides. It wasn't, it wasn't all that simple. It wasn't just because you did steroids, you were a superstar. It wasn't because, you know, the pitch is coming, you're going to hit home runs. It, that, it doesn't work that way. That's the beauty of the game of baseball. There's always a way to equalize things. Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's a that's a definitely a different side yeah, to and, that story. And I think in any any sport, right, there are advantages. Right. You could mm -hmm. argue advantages, right. but at the same time, to your point, I, we I, talk about bowling, right? Uh, the just, techno technology has changed so much in bowling. It's just the 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 materials used on the lanes, the oil, the the way the balls are weighted. I mean, you got guys. Could you imagine go back 10, 15 years, guys bowling without any fingers in the ball, just spinning it? Yeah, you know, two the two-handed bowlers, and that, these guys are, are are money with their shot, and they 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 know how to do it now in a different way, in a different element, and it's it's very similar. Sports evolves. There's always somebody that comes along that kind of changes the way that everything has been done, but it was done that way because of the Pete Webbers of the world, because of the Brian Vosses of the world. Yeah, that's right. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so it, it, then when you go and you look at how the game has evolved, is it evolved for the better? Are there higher scores? Yes. Is it easier for uh, the amateur to throw a big hook and bring it in from the first board and, and hit the pocket? Yes. Why? Because the balls are weighted different. You can shift it over. You can do a lot of things where you don't have to manipulate the ball the way you used to have to do it. So now it becomes a matter of being as consistent as possible. That's what 
the, right. the game of bowling is about, right? Consistency, making your spares and, you know, trying to be able to continue hitting that pocket as much as possible. So that's something that will never change no matter steroids, knowing what's coming or anything else in the sport of bowling. You wrap that up perfectly. You tied it nice and well. And I think that's, that's the misconception and that we hear it because we live bowling, right? So in, mm -hmm. in sport, in baseball, you hear it. In bowling, we hear it. But it's the same across all sports. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it, of course, it's different. Yep. And you talk about it was some steroid era and, and you, you talk about all the different eras and the things that happened in all of our sports. Yeah, it's just it's just timing. It's just it's evolution in the sports. Right. Hey, I want you to go back to your time on the field. Okay. Uh, your most memorable moment. Uh, in your mind, your most memorable moment uh, in your career? Um, my most memorable moment. Uh, there's like a highlight clip in my head of, of little moments. Of course, um, winning my first game in a Met uniform at Shea Stadium. Um, that was April 11, 2008. I'll never forget it because I had, again, all my friends and family were there who wanted to see me in a Met uniform. I made my debut with the Diamondbacks, then went to the Phillies and the Brewers and the Pirates. Then I was out of baseball for four years. So it was a my friends and family that supported me throughout the whole process. Um, it was they were part of the journey. So that that opportunity to pitch and in that setting, especially at uh, Shea Stadium, was tremendous. So I think. Those are, I had bookends, right? That was my first win um, as a Met starter. And then my last win as a Met starter was the first complete game shutout at City Field history. So you always kind of want to leave your mark if you can in the game. And being a guy who didn't have tremendous stuff or, you know, I have moments that stand out, that's one of them. Again, that can never be taken away. It wasn't Johan Santana. It wasn't Pedro Martinez. Nelson Figueroa threw the first complete game shutout at City Field. So I will always have that. Um, then when you go, Fast forward to the WBC pitching for Team Puerto Rico and uh, helping to take them to the finals and beating Team USA, which uh, was an incredible experience down in Miami um, that I still haven't even watched the game. Uh, it, it, in my head, it's a certain way, and I want it to stay that way. I don't ever, I don't ever want to change that, um, but I, I just that was one of the big moments where I got a chance to do it on a major stage against the highest level of competition that there is. I mean, that was an all-star team put together. And to uh, do it and do it for uh, Team Puerto Rico and the whole country to see the love and support that it got from there, that was, uh, again, second to none. And, of course, winning championships in Taiwan. I mean, I could go on and on. Baseball has been, as it, as it's been said, baseball has been very, very good to me. Very good to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there's been, there's been a lot of moments, and I don't, think there's one in particular. I mean, if I had a perfect game, of course, that'd be great. But I think for me, the team element of winning championships, and I've won nine across the globe. Um, that's something that I always take a lot of pride in because I feel like, yeah, when I'm on the mound, I can help the team win. But it's what I did when I wasn't on the mound. It was what I did to help the relievers and the starters. And when I'm in the bench, and I'm helping the players to watch the other team's pitcher and realize, hey, he's tipping his slider when he holds his glove a certain way. Those little things as you get older and you start figuring out ways to uh, impart your wisdom on the game um, and, and you realize how how much of a difference maker you can make rather than just being like, okay, you know, I pitch my one day a week and now I'm just going to sit back and just hang out and eat sunflower seeds. Uh, I think that that's where it changed for me to realize that um, 
the more I was involved in the game, the more I would learn and the more value I could add to a team. That's awesome. That's, what can I say? I was <laughs> You have to be a team. Up. You have to be a team player, right? That's the only way this works, especially especially in your position, right? You can mm-hmm. you can assume uh, that the pitcher holds all the cards, right? And 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 in no, any game, right. but without that support system, they have to have your support. And I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because without having the pitcher support and then knowing that you have everybody else's support around you, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, it, it's funny because one of the things that, um, it, like. You, you're so focused on task at hand, right? That you're going out there and it's your day to pitch. The other four starters, they literally are catering to you. Like, dude, do you need anything? Do you need, you know, you want, you want a drink, you know, you want a Red Bull, you want a, this, you want a jacket, you want to change your, your, your shirt, you want a different shirt. You want, we cater to each other because again, it's that team element, you know, you would, we, it's a respect factor. Like whatever I can do to help you on your day. And I, I remember I was, in the big leagues um, with the Mets and um, I had to run inside to grab something for one of the pitchers. And uh, I get up off the bench and we were in San Francisco and a fan goes, Oh wow, dude, that's the most I've seen you move all day. And I go, yeah, you know, what's crazy. I go, whether I move or not, I still get paid the same. And he started (laughs) laughing. So then I ran, I ran into the, I ran all the way into the dugout, went into the clubhouse. I got him what he needed. I ran back out there and I, I got it for him. He shuts the door. He every, everything. Everybody's happy, and he thanked me for that because, listen, I wasn't a 22 year old rookie. You know, I was I was older when I was a rookie, and my last few years of being in the big leagues, people didn't really know me because they hadn't played either hadn't played against me a lot. I've been up and down. They didn't know me very well. Um, David Wright, I have a great story for David Wright. After that first start on 411. Um, I'm one of the last guys because I had to do a press conference and did all the talking and then I'm showering and David Wright's talking with me and he's like, so, uh, Hey kid, uh, you're going to be a one hit wonder. And I go, kid, I go, who are you talking to? I go, I'm 34 years old, bro. <laughs> and it was, it was just comical. Like he hadn't realized that I had, I was that old, you know, I, I credit that to uh, good genes, but I was like, well, I'm not a kid. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm not a rookie. And even though I'm not a rookie and I'm a veteran guy, I, I still, again, I think it's a respect factor and you would want people to treat you the way you want to be treated. And so I think that's one of the things I've always adhered to to be a good teammate. And um, I think that's why I have such great relationships well after my playing career is over. Awesome. Hey, we could sit here all day and talk ask baseball. About but- the, uh, the agreement there. You want to ask him about that? Oh, uh, I'll pull it up. Yeah. Hang on a second. Where is it? There's one more thing right there. No problem. This one? Oh, you're right. Uh, oh, so we had, uh, I'm sorry. We, I had it. Well, you, you kept yapping. So I was. <laughs> <laughs> I got mixed up what we're doing here. So, you know, hey. While just, just pull the hook. Just pull the hook. No, no, no. no, no, no. no, no. So no, while, while, while we're sitting here, mm-hmm. uh, breaking news that uh, the owners came to an agreement. Uh, that the, the they want to get the season started in Janu- uh, January, <laughs> in July. Right. Uh, obviously, pending a conversation with the union, the which looks union. like tomorrow. So yep. uh, that's promising that we can get bowling bowling soon, but baseball first, yeah. uh, up and running. So uh, I think we should all be excited for that. 
Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, sports is a tremendous vehicle to take people's minds off of things. I think it's you have to look at people watching old games right now, watching simulated games, simulated video games, even just to kind of, you know, escape from uh, what we're going through right now with the quarantine. I think one of the things is that as long as the health concerns are first and foremost in the decision-making process. And I think that's what players are really concerned about. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's the money. It's a, it's not about the money. Honestly, it, the money is is going – everybody knows that there, there's a loss everywhere. The, the whole economy is at a loss. Um, to make the owners try to pay full salaries for only playing a certain amount of games or if we only play – say we only play, you know, 20, 30 games and something happens and they have to shut down the season, that doesn't mean that they get a full, you know, 80 games worth of salary. I think those are the kind of things that normally – the players union would stand ground and be like, Hey, it's guaranteed salaries. That's what makes our, our union the strongest in the, on, on the planet. Um, but in this situation uh, with all parties involved, I think you have to realize that the owners are taking a hit because there's no revenue being generated at the ballparks. If they're not going to be fans in the seats um, selling uh, TV packages, um, those are going to take a hit because the TV package used to be for, uh, you know, 162 games. Now it's a, uh, only going to be an 80 game season that's going to have to be at least half the price um so there's going to be a lot of different ways that this has to work but more so than anything this is why we train this is why we grew up uh wanting to play baseball is to have the opportunity to play baseball so just for that alone i think the players side are are, are going to be in and going to be a little bit more flexible than people think um because they do want to play baseball but they also want to make sure that they're going to be safe and that their families are going to be safe and that um you know they don't have an uh a chance to um put their family in harm's way you know people aren't athletes aren't as selfish as you think they are um they usually try to think about uh, the bigger picture of things. Our, our window of opportunity is very small. Um, and so missing out on a full season, if you have an opportunity to play, is, is kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, great, great. We, are, we feel like we're missing out just by not being able to watch. And watching, <laughs> listen, I love watching old games. However, when this all started, SNY was, was featuring some great games. And then the, the, if, if you thought they could highlight the best games, they – they picked all the shitty games. Yeah. <laughs> the Mets were losing every game. Why the hell are we showing these? Yeah. Opportunity to change, right? The showcase, face. Right. showcase, showcase all the wins. We, had, we could have had a great season so far. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah no, that that that's one of the things you 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 kind of have to uh, take the good with the bad, right? And figure out uh, this 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 game was big because and uh, what happened after that that game is that they went on and won six seven straight, and you know they they, they swept the next team when they came in. It's uh it's it's funny what they do, but I, I do love the fact that we have um they, they've been playing some of those old games and you have a chance to see some of those guys in their prime and people can see who keith hernandez was and how good how amazing he was at first base and uh to see those guys and in, in their prime i think you know met as mets fans you know we talk about what two teams Yes, there's two teams as you know the 73 that went to the world series and we also have the uh 2000 team that went to the world series um but it's just not the same 2015 team that went to the world series i mean but there's such big breaks in between that for a whole generation to get a chance to catch up and for grandparents to be able to sit with fathers to sit with sons and to say hey listen these are the guys that i used to root for yeah yeah it's pretty cool 
So it's even frustrating watching reruns as a, as a Mets fan. <laughs> the frustration lives on. Absolutely. But I think that's the beauty. That's what makes us Mets fans, right? Oh, nothing I, nothing I, comes I, easy for a Mets fan. No, no, no. And we, we accept that every bit of it. <laughs> yes, sir. And pe people just don't understand why. You know, that's well, right. The Yankees haven't had these great big seasons in the last ten years either. So they're they no, 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 no. Trust me, I, I've I've gotten into it with some Yankee fans, and uh, I I actually uh, put out a tweet um, right after they got knocked out uh, of the playoffs, and I said I wanted to discuss the twenty seven rings, twenty of which happened before um, even their parents were born. Um, and, and that, you know, since those, since that time, you know, I talked about the, the 96 to 99 teams of the Yankees. It was great, you know, that they ran the, the gambit there, but I also talk about how they spent over $3 billion, um, yeah. since 2001 and they have one world series to show for it. Um, so it, it, what the good part is that you understand baseball a little bit better, a team like the Tampa Bay Rays competing in that American League East and putting up 93, 95 wins year after year with a fifth of the salary that these other teams have show you that it's not about the dollars. It's about putting uh, putting together a good roster, a complete roster and guys who can band together. And maybe that is their rally cry is that we don't make enough money to even, you know, pay for one of the Yankee salaries, Stanton salary. But uh, at, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's about going out there and, and having a chip on your shoulder and, and having a chance to prove it on the ball field. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it worked right for a period of time. It truly did work. And yeah. I give like Steinbrenner, it's a, you, you have to give the band credit for what they did. And he what they built created. what he wanted. They built this, built the team. They changed the game mm -hmm. and today. That, that same formula just doesn't work. It doesn't doesn't work, right. work the same as it used to. No, not at all. And, and I think that's one of the things that you noticed is that um, when you talk about the Yankee dynasty for the Jeter years, um, and the core four, right? You had the you had the core four, but that's all they had in all that time. I'm talking about their starting rotation. I'm talking about all the other players. The core four is all they had. Everything else was bought. Every other piece of it was bought. Every uh, every off season, it was okay. If this guy led the major leagues in home runs, he was going to be a Yankee. If this guy led the major leagues and wins, he was going to be a Yankee. And it was inevitable. Everybody knew it. And so you took that core four that was a, a great core to have together, and then you go and add nothing but unlimited cash to a, to a team and the rosters, and you see what was able to be put together. I, I liken it to when Boston, Boston after all those years, they gave Theo Epstein basically a blank check and yeah. said, let's put together, put together a winning team. And he did it the old school model. The old school model is to have some young, talented players as a core and then be able to fill in with some veteran players, a couple of superstars. But those veteran players where this is kind of – they're a little bit past their best seasons, their, their prime. So you're not paying that max dollar for them. But at the same time, they know how to get it done. Right. And, and you, you get those guys and you get the David Rosses of the world and you get all these guys that – you start realizing the value that they bring isn't price tag wise. It isn't, uh, you know, it isn't in RBIs. It's in, you know, how he's training that younger catcher to catch the rest of the staff so that if he gets hurt, there's not a big fall off um, when he goes down. So uh, there's nuances to the game that, yeah, the dollars help. Um, but I think when you're putting together a complete roster, there's got to be a motivation. The Atlanta Braves for years drafted only people out of Georgia. 
all those, all the young players and young superstars all came out of Georgia. Why? Because they knew they would want to play for the Braves. Right. That would be a, a big motivating factor to get to the big leagues and to work hard and to, that would be a, a big sense of pride. So that, that's another side of it. There's so many teams that try and Moneyball isn't the way that anything works anymore. We've seen that kind of go by the wayside, but at the end of the day, I think there's always, what it comes down to is team, this chemistry happen because of winning or does winning happen because of chemistry? I'm a big believer that chemistry breeds winning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, you're awesome. And we really appreciate oh. you, you having stopping in today. My yeah. pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, you uh, go back to whatever you were doing today. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I got a big day of uh, nothing. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we actually this weekend uh, real quick, and then I'll go the, uh, Hank Azaria invited me to play in a Poker Stars tournament, Call for Action um, Poker Stars tournament, and it was uh, 100 celebrities. We were able to raise uh, 500,000 for COVID. Wow. Um, and then also at the same time, uh, 500,000 went out to the winners and different winners of each table, charities. Um, so it was a great event, so much fun. I mean, I, my poker table was uh, Maggie Gray, Chris Carlin, Ron Darling, Stu Gatz and Dan Lebetard um, from ESPN, and uh, I was I won our table, so I won ten thousand dollars from charity of my choice, and then I went over to a, one of the finals tables, and um, Michael Ian uh, Black was on my team uh, was on my table. He knocked me out. Uh, I, I didn't think he had a ten, a third ten. He had the third ten. Um, at one table there was Casey Affleck, um, Brian Cranston. Ed Norton Jr. and um, Michael Ian Black went and played in that one as well. And so uh, that at that table alone, I just sat there kind of observing and typing in after each and every hand. And um, celebrities all came together to play in this poker tournament. It was a lot of fun and uh, was able to raise some good money for charity. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, good times. Awesome. Awesome work. Uh, thanks again, Nelson. You got we'll, it. Yeah, we'll see you soon. And uh, we look forward to the new the baseball season starting. Yeah. Uh, let's go Mets. And you next, got it. Maybe we'll be on the lanes. We definitely will do that. We'll make oh. our next, our next, uh, my next appearance there will be on the lanes for sure. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> uh, have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Take care guys. Bye-bye. Uh, we could talk all day with Nelson. We we literally could have done that. We could have kept going. Yeah. Well, I, I I have a whole page of more questions. I did. You know, it's funny. I have some I had questions here and he he had answered them with some of the right. Yeah. Right. So I just I was like, all right, but I, I there are there are some unanswered questions. He's great. So he's he's great to listen to. We're gonna have to get him here. Yeah. Uh, we'll bowl. Uh, we could still do we could do a QA thing. Uh, we could ask the rest of our questions yes. if, we, if we could get them in. <laughs> uh, you know, uh Episode 50. How, how cool was that? That was a great episode. You know, not many things happen, uh, but when they happen, they happen here. They on, happen here. You heard it on, here on first. Live from Rebs. We had breaking news today. I, I hope uh, the players union. I hope they do too. Come It'll to an agreement nice tomorrow. To, you know, as long as they feel secure in the safety of the team and that the players are being watched after and the staff, then yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. Let's, uh, I, the biggest thing is that if, if they're together, if they're to, and I think the argument for a long time is that the team's together for, all the time, right? The team, the staff. So if, if they can contain that, they're together. Everybody's healthy and safe. Uh, the the larger issue, of course, are bringing fans into the right into the stadium. But right, so. I don't care. Even if they play it in a stadium with 
I mean, I, I, I don't like the idea of not going to a game, but at least they'll be baseball played. It'll be interesting. We can still watch and be part of to see how it plays without the yeah. cheering. It'll be like golf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's funny. All the all these sports, you be quiet. You know, well, get up yeah, on now that, now we're that is a, that's a sport that's played with <laughs> right. all sorts of noise. If you're watching and somebody's sitting behind home plate and they're doing whatever yeah, they're doing, doing the- flashing, even flashing before they get exited. You know, there's always something. Yeah. Uh, so he brought he brought up. Uh, John Franco, of course, a Staten Islander, uh, which, who we, we all uh, love, a great guy. You see him in the, you, when he was was around, you saw him a lot. And so I happened to pull out one of our old photos uh, uh, from, uh, there you go. There he is. Uh, good old John Franco it's here. Frank and Rob's Country Lanes. Uh, I don't know what year that is, but the party room was pink. <laughs> and the, 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 there were closets in the corner there, and that one had our, had stuff in it, and the one on the right had the big old box TV, tube yes, TV it in it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what year this is, but there he is, good old John Franco. Used to see him in the in, in the bank all the time. Uh, I, I, the meme of the day. I, I was looking for a good Mets meme of the day, and I was just, I, I no, I was a little disheartened. So <laughs> they were all probably really. <laughs> Negative. <laughs> were. I mean, some of the. I had one the other day that was that was funny and that was that was fine. Uh, but so we're back to bowling. Okay. Uh, Just like toilet paper, bowling will be back. Bowling strong. Egg. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and and it looks like you can get some toilet paper these days in the store. Yeah, you can still, well, if you're ordering, like up. you can only get one, but you can still right. You can only right. And and why would you need more than one? I mean, it depends Huge on package. how many um, people live in your house. Come on. Uh, but yeah, there's only so much you can you can do in wiping. I'm crying, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, while we're sitting here, it's it's interesting. Jimmy's a, a big Yankee fan. And so uh, Jimmy, during the season, Jimmy, when he walks, he, during the season, if the Mets lose or the Yankees have a big right. win, <laughs> He walks straight. He comes straight into the office to say whatever he's got to say about whatever happened the night before. Yeah, or or the good old. As we're sitting, (laughs) as we're sitting here, I can only imagine. I I heard a little bit of the little uh, underlying comments. I was waiting for the, you know. Uh, He had some good comments uh, back there, but maybe maybe it's good we don't have Jimmy on a mic. Right. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a good thing. Well, that that was a lot of fun today. It was fun. I kept it real with Nelson Figueroa. Yeah, we did. Figgy. He's good. Good old Figgy. Um, tomorrow, we're back at it again. It's uh, at 2 o'clock until further notice yeah. here live on Facebook. We have uh, Executive Director and CEO of Historic Richmond Town joining us, Jessica B. Phillips. That should be really interesting. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, there's not really a lot happening in our cultural in- institutions here on right. Staten Island. Things are a little quiet. Yeah, but they're doing things. Yeah, and right so- from the outside. I have to say they're they're look, they're doing some cleaning. Yeah. They've uh, started a blog, and so she's going to be here and talk a little bit awesome. about uh, historic Richmond Town. And then uh, Coley Edison from the PBA is going to be with gonna us. She's going to be here this week. We have awesome. a weekly check in with Pamela Silvestri. We'll talk food. Yep. Uh, we talked a little food today, so you know we didn't get a show without talking about it. Yeah, well, right, exactly. We got to sneak the food in. Joe Cal is back in the studio on Saturday. Thank God. We love when he's here. PBA Pro Bowler Hall of Fame Saturday with the one and only Wendy McPherson. So we're looking forward to another great week here uh, on on live from Rabs. You know, Naz, uh, 
<laughs> Wait till you talk to Figgy after this. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. He was really, really good. And he, you know, the conversation flows pretty smoothly. And he doesn't he doesn't talk over people's heads, I don't think. And I think that's what makes him a good conversationalist. It's easy to understand, you know, what he's saying. And I miss I don't read about it. Nothing against S and Y, but it's not the same. I loved Bobby Ojeda before him, and I thought he did a great job. But I'm not watching any post game show right now. So. <laughs> right, there's no post game show. There is no post game. Uh, well, thanks for watching today. Continue to like and share our, our videos yep. and page. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe. You get that little notification that says that Naz and Frank are live from Rabs. Yep. Uh, you know, Naz. That was awesome. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.